Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Listen, today I want to share with you a message I'm really, really excited about. And um, it really just kind of came as a result of a recent um, move. Michelle and I, we were packing and just, goodness gracious, you know, when you got so much stuff and you're sifting through all the stuff you forgot you even had. And, and in the midst of it all, I ran across a little armband that said, Rethink Life. And underneath it said, Challenge the Norm. And I started just reflecting back on what our core message here at Rethink Life is really all about. And at the end of the day, that is something that God just really put in my spirit a long time ago. It's almost been like a a life mantra, a motto. In fact, Michelle and I even wrote a book called Rethink Life. And there are seven uh, chapters in this particular book. And we even uh, put it in the form of a 40-day devotional. It's on the YouVersion Bible app. And those seven core areas really represent a lot of the DNA of what we're passionate about, what we can feel, feel very much uh, committed to when it comes to just living our lives and, and just you know, our mindset and our really just our way of thinking and ultimately our way of living. Not that it's any better or any, any more right than, than you. It's just the fact that that is what God has shaped within us. That is what God has put in our spirit related to things that are so vitally, vitally important. And it really goes against what we hear and what we see in our culture today. It really kind of challenges the so-called norm. And this all really began a number of years ago. Michelle and I, we uh, were celebrating a milestone in our life, a wedding anniversary. And we also were celebrating a milestone in our church. And we decided um, to go on a cruise to celebrate. And uh, we had some people that blessed us to be able to go on this cruise. And I'll never forget, uh, it, was, uh, it was departing out of Miami. So we left Orlando, we get in the car, you know, we're, we're, we're cruising down uh, the turnpike. And as we're cruising down the turnpike, we probably hadn't gotten very far down the turnpike outside the Orlando city limits where all of a sudden now we're getting, we're getting to this part of the turnpike where you're kind of like getting a further and further away from rooftops and you're getting on that turnpike and all of a sudden we see these construction signs that were blinking on and off, and it said, road work ahead, expect delays. Well, it happened to be Labor Day weekend. And I told Michelle, I said, there's no way they're doing road work on Labor Day weekend, knowing all these people are going to be traveling back and forth. She said, well, they put those signs there for a reason. And I just kind of blew it off, like, no big deal. And so we start looking at the clock. We, start, we know where we had to go, how long it was going to take to get there. And so all of a sudden, I kid you not, about five miles up the road, all you could see literally on the horizon was just a sea of red lights, just taillights from cars. I mean, we came to a screeching halt. And if you've ever been on the turnpike, 
it is like the path of no return. I mean, there's no on and off ramps. You know, I mean? you're locked and loaded when you get. It was honestly, it was irrelevant because we were just stuck. And so I saw after a few moments, and I'm t- I kid you not, people were getting out of their cars, walking their dogs, sitting out on the hood of their cars. I mean, we were going nowhere. Well, I saw out of the corner of my eye, I saw what looked like, it looked like cars somehow, some way were making like a U-turn. And it was through one of those emergency you know, where the, you know, the, the highway patrol, whomever, you know, they, they have these little cut-throughs. Well, I saw cars that were making these U-turns. And I told Michelle, I said, we got to find, we got we to find a way to get up there. She said, there's no way. Well, there was literally a little small path between the railing uh, on, the, on the road there that separates the two, the two highways. There was this railing, there's the shoulder of the road, and then the, there's the lane where the cars are. So I started like honking my horn and so the people in front of us they're like cussing us out giving us the one way to Jesus finger you know and uh, and then I'm I'm trying to put my car in reverse and so the people behind me they're freaking out they're honking their horn they're cussing at us and so finally we kind of jockeyed our way out into the shoulder and so I'm like honking the horn slowly but surely, making my way forward, people were having to close their car doors, you know, in order for us to get by. And I kid you not, after maneuvering for about five minutes, what seemed like forever, we finally made it to that point where we could cut through. And I made a U-turn. And we started going now the opposite direction. And I'm telling you, it was the craziest thing, now going the opposite direction. Because, man, it was just like a free it was, like, it, was, it was just like total freedom. We're just now going back towards Orlando. But as we're going in the opposite direction, all you could see were all of these cars in this massive traffic jam going nowhere. And I thought to myself, man, what a picture of where our world is today. Because it seems as though now more than ever, especially, we're living in this day and age where people are just kind of going down the highway of life, that feels right, that seems right, going in the direction that seemingly is most popular, that everybody seems to be traveling that's taking them nowhere. Jesus used a very similar metaphor in Matthew 7, where he talked about, in the Sermon of the Mount, he talked about these two roads, or these two paths, and he referred to one as narrow, and he, t- he referred to one as broad. He gave two roads, two paths, basically, he was emphasizing two destinies. 
One was broad. One was popular. One was this path of least resistance. One was this path or this road that everybody was going. And the reason why is because it was the popular path. It's what seemed right. But the problem with where that road took people is that it was, it was a road that ultimately leads to eternal separation from God. A place called hell. It's, it's a place that God never intended for us to go. But there's a different path. And that other path or that other road was a narrow road. And that particular road was not as popular. It had challenges with it. But with that path, with that narrow road, even though there were only few traveling on it, was the road that leads to life. It's the eternal path that leads to our eternal hope and home in a place called heaven. And that's where Jesus wanted us to understand. At the end of the day, we get to choose which path we're going to follow. It's the opportunity for us to either go down the path that seems right, that everybody else is going, that everybody else seems to view as normal, or we can go against that and we can challenge the norm and take the narrow road, which ultimately leads to life. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says it this way. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. I need you to understand something. If you're here today and you call yourself, you refer to yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to know this simple truth. You ready for this? You are not normal. Turn to your friend, look at him and say, you are not normal. And I know you're thinking to yourself, well, duh, I already knew he wasn't normal. I knew she wasn't normal. But we're not normal as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says it this way. But we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Turn to your neighbor, look at them and say, you are peculiar. It means you're unique, you're different. You're weird. You're a little odd, you're strange. Like, what is up with you? You're peculiar. I love that word. I hope that's what we're known for as a church. Man, that Rethink Life Church, man, they, they are peculiar. Those people, have you ever met one of those people that go over there to that church? They are very peculiar. They're unique. They're different. They're strange. They're weird. They just walk to a different beat. That's what... 1 Peter 2.9 says, but we're chosen, we're royal, we're a holy nation, we're peculiar people. That we should show forth his praises who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Man, that's what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do is to challenge the norm, to live different from the norm, to be, to be peculiar. Listen, to be bright light in a world that's living in darkness. And you know what? That is not normal. It's not. 
And sadly and unfortunately, we're living in a world today where right has become wrong and wrong has become right. And I mean, it's crazy. But here's what I want you to understand. Today is no different than thousands of years ago when four young men in the book of Daniel, in fact, one of these individuals, the book is named after him, the book of Daniel. Daniel was a young man, and he had three friends, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the names that were given uh, to these young men. These young men were exiled. They were taken captive from uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who had, at this point, they had, uh, the Babylonians had um, besieged the, the people of, of Judah and Jerusalem. And, and one of the things that the Babylonians were known for, in fact, they were feared literally all over the world. And because of their tactics and what they did. But the Babylonians, after they would basically take over a city, what they would do is they would take the sharpest, the brightest, the, 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 most, the most gifted, talented individuals. of today's world and if you don't embrace the new norm if you don't embrace the the ideologies of today's world then you are viewed as abnormal you are viewed as someone who is maybe outside the norm because the new norm is embracing a new way of thinking and believing and ultimately living But in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine in which he drank. In other words, rather than conforming to what they were being pressured to do, he had already resolved. He had already purposed in his heart because he knew who he was and because he knew who he was serving, he was not about to compromise his core beliefs and his convictions in order to live the way the culture of the Babylonians wanted him and his friends to live. And I think what we have to understand in our lives, living in 2023 in today's culture now more than ever, if you're going to challenge the norm, the new norm, it may cost you. 
They cost you some friendships. It could cost you your job, your career. It could cost you a lot when it comes to not only the ripple effect it has on you financially, with your career, how you're viewed, how you're labeled, how you're categorized. We need to understand, listen, God has not called us to conform. God has called us to be transformed and to transform a world that's living in darkness. And the only way we can do that is to live different than the norm. So how do we do that? Three things quickly. Number one is this. We have to rethink our perspective. We have to rethink our perspective. It's exactly what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being challenged. Babylonian way. And here's what's interesting. Today, we're being pressured, and you see it in all categories of our current culture, from arts and entertainment to the political landscape to corporate America to, I mean, sports to, you know, obviously our educational system. You see it everywhere. And it's subtle. Or at least it has been subtle, but now it's become even more emboldened. And it's being required. It's now being enforced. And once again, there are consequences if we don't submit. And it all comes packaged in terminology and in, in, in words that all seem innocent and almost in many ways seems right and true. For example, terms like diversity... Equity, inclusion. Diversity, equity, inclusion. How many of you have ever heard those three words? D-E-I. Many of you who are in corporate America, you are being taught on how to teach D-E-I programs into the corporate landscape, the corporate climate of your company. Teachers are having to learn the DEI way of teaching this understanding, this mindset to children. Our sports franchises, athletes, you know, social media, I mean, it's everywhere. Diversity, equity, inclusion. Now, those sound good words. They sound to be good words, right? They sound to be those words seem to be innocent. In fact, they even have a little bit of compassion attached to those words, right? Guess who thought up those words? Guess who is the originator of those words? God is. 
God is a God of diversity. All you got to do is read Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth. All you got to do is look around the world and you see a kaleidoscope of diversity. You go just look at the physical landscape of our world. Man, you go from the desert to the oceans to the mountains to, I mean, you name God is a God of diversity. You got to understand that he created, when he created, look at, just look at the species, look at the animals, look at everything in, the, in his creation. He has created a diverse, unique world. Wouldn't you agree? Not only that, equality. God is a God of equality. God has placed infinite worth and value on every single human being. It doesn't matter their race, doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter their their culture. Listen, it doesn't matter. God has placed his infinite worth and value on every single human being. Why? Because listen, we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made in the eyes of God. Period. So God He's the one who thought this stuff up. He is a God of diversity. He is a God of equality. And he's also a God of inclusion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that God proved, God demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So don't tell me God is against this. No, God is the author and he is the creator of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But here is where it gets tricky. Where it gets tricky is nobody likes to read Genesis chapter 3. Everybody wants you to just focus on Genesis chapter 1 where everything is great. But when Genesis chapter 3 comes to the picture where sin enters into the world and when Satan appears before Adam and Eve in a perfect world, in a perfect environment, in a perfect situation, God's perfect plan, everything that God created that was good, what did Satan do? Satan questioned God's authority. Satan questioned God's truth. And what did he do? He confronted Adam and Eve. And what did he do? He took a truth and he twisted it. He took a truth and he, he basically made a truth that seemed right. Rationalizing that truth to the point to where it felt right. To the point where the truth eventually became a lie that was embraced. And therefore, we have sin that entered into the world. So here's the problem. The problem is, is that we live in a world today that says, oh, yeah, 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 we're all about diversity. We're all about equity. We're all about inclusion as long as that is all relative to how each individual believes because... You're your own version of your truth. You see, there is no such thing as right and wrong. You see, truth is relative. 
There's no such thing as an absolute objective standard for right and wrong. That's all situational. That's based on what you feel is right or what you feel is wrong. Hey, that is all a matter of interpretation. You see, what may be wrong for you may not, 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 not necessarily be wrong for me. Or what may be right for you may not be right for me. You see, that is up to you to determine what is right and what is wrong. In other words, hey, we don't have to worship God. Just worship ourselves, and let's worship creation. Because listen, God is the one who messes it all up. We're the ones who have messed it all up. Because when we take what God created to be holy and to be pure and to be innocent and we pervert it and we distort it and we take the focus away from him and we put it on ourselves, guess what? Romans chapter 3 teaches, hey, we worship the creation more than the creator. And here's what happens. What happens is is that the truth has been twisted and has become a lie. You say, how do you determine that? Any lifestyle or any form of behavior that is contradictory to who God is, his very nature and character of who he is, listen, it's not God's plan. It's not God's will. It's not a part of what he desires for those whom he created. Now again, this is where it gets messy. And this is where it gets muddy. And this is where everybody wants to just kind of conform to the norm. Because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We just want to go with the flow. We don't want to do anything that would be peculiar or different. Because if we live different, hey... That could really get us in trouble. So it would be much easier for us just to embrace what the world says is the new norm and go with the flow because that's the way everything is going. And sadly and unfortunately, it is a destiny that has great eternal consequences if we choose to turn our backs on God. Now, this challenges us to rethink our perspective. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, what? Say it out loud. Think. Then notice the condition. Notice the condition. Then you will learn To know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know what I wish I could do? One of the things that I'm so passionate about is helping people understand God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for their life. There's nothing more that I want for each of you, from our children, for the next generation. There's nothing more that I want than to see people experience God's good and pleasing and perfect will. And sadly and unfortunately, people can't know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will 
if they don't have a relationship with God. So we got to first of all introduce people to God, to Jesus, and we got to allow the supernatural power of God's Spirit to transform the hearts and the minds of individuals. Only God can do that. We can't do that. I can't do that. We can love people. Listen, we can walk alongside people, even though their views or maybe their lifestyle, their preferences may be radically, completely opposite from us. But here's the deal. We can walk with them. We can show them. We can teach them. We can help them. We can do everything we can to model for them, to exemplify for them. Listen, when they go through setbacks and hardships and trials, listen, we can be there to help them. But listen, along the way, as we love them and we pray for them and we walk alongside them, we need to pray that God, through his supernatural power, will change and transform their hearts and their minds through Christ Jesus, that he will transform them with the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's it. That's it. And so with that, listen, we got to continue to do everything we can to show people and Lord and Savior. Listen, here are two life's most important questions. At the end of the day, who am I living for and what am I living for? Who am I living for? Am I living for myself? Am I, am I living for just the here and now? And then what am I living for? Am, 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 I, am I living for the temporal things of life or am I living for the eternal? Who am I living for? Am I living for me or am I living for Jesus? So who am I living for and what am I living for? The reason why Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to withstand the pressures that came against them is simply because, listen to this, it's because they knew who they were and they knew what they were living for. And they knew that more than anything, the convictions within their heart, listen, went against what King Nebuchadnezzar, what the Babylonian way was all about. So Daniel had purposed in his heart because he knew what he was living for and who he was living for. And because of that, these young men stood firm and with unshakable faith. They were able to stand against the tide and the pressures of their new culture. And we have to do the same thing. That's the reason why the scripture says in Ephesians 1.18, hey, Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So we got to understand that, hey, God wants to see everything going on around us, the ideologies of our present culture. He wants us to see everything going on in our world. Listen, with spiritual eyes. Because when we see with spiritual eyes and we view everything going on from a biblical perspective, from a biblical worldview, it changes 
everything. We're no longer caught off guard. We just see it for what it is that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. But thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God is with us and he is for us and he will protect us no matter what comes against us. So listen, today we got to rethink our perspective. i got to hurry. Number two is this. we got to rethink our choices. we got to rethink our choices. In Daniel 3, verses 17 and 18, it's interesting. There's a story here where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, once again, the Babylonian way was to allow the indoctrination to change the Their, their lifestyles, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar he, Nebuchadnezzar, he was so full of himself, he was so full of pride, and, 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 and he was so arrogant, you know, they were the dominant, you know, military force in the world. They had taken over. And so here he was, so full of himself, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to build this golden statue of himself, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and they worshipped all kinds of gods. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted all of the people to bow down and ultimately worship his image, worship. It was like his legacy that they would bow down and worship the golden statue. In fact, they had put it in a decree. And anybody who refused to do so literally would be put to death. Well, during the big ceremony... And they had everybody that came out, and they erected this massive statue. And so they brought out the marching band. And so the order was, on the count of three, man, when the, when the, when the, when the trumpet started playing, man, everybody's going to hit the deck and start bowing down and worshiping this golden statue. Well, on the count of three, man, all of a sudden, when the tambourines and the, and the banjo and the trumpet started cranking up, man, everybody hit the deck except for three dudes. And these three guys, they were like looking around. Everybody around them, they were, they were all bowed down worshiping this golden calf. And they're probably thinking to themselves, can you believe this? What a bunch of spineless people. These people don't even have the courage to, to stand up. They're just going with the flow. They're just submitting. They're just bowing down. They're just conforming to what everybody else is doing. Word got back to the king that these three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow. They brought them in. And the king said, is it true that you guys would not bow and worship my new golden image? They said, yeah. And here's what they said. I love this in verses 17 and 18 in Daniel chapter 3. Even if we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't. We want, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That took some boldness. <laughs> Can you imagine these three? These guys probably were teenagers standing in front of the most powerful person on the planet at the time. And they said, no way. You can throw us in the firecracker all day long. We don't care. And what did they do? They threw them in the furnace, the, fi the, the fiery furnace. But 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, guess what? They not only didn't burn, but when they looked into the furnace that was so blazing hot, in fact, some of the others, the officers that looked in there, they were torched in the process. But here were these three young men in the furnace of fire, and they saw one, two, Three, not just three, but one more. It was a fourth person, and it was the presence of God that was in the fire with them. So you know what? You may take some heat. You may be thrown into the fire. You may be cast into the pit. You may be canceled. Listen, your, listen, your Facebook friends may delete you. You know what? You may be bullied on you know, whatever social media platform. But guess what? Whatever form of retaliation, whatever form of persecution, whatever it is that's coming against you, you need to understand no weapon formed against you will prosper. Listen, you are royal. You are holy. Listen, you are a holy nation called of God. You are a peculiar people, and God is with you, and he is for you, even in the midst of the fires of life. Because God has a good, and he has a pleasing, and he has a perfect will for you and for me who live a life of obedience. And that's easier said than done. But when we challenge the norm and we do it God's way rather than our way, God's going to take care of us. He's going to bless us. And he's going to be with us. I love what Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says. says so, so be very careful how you live. Not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom. For we are living in the evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. That's it. So how do you... How do you rethink your perspective? How do you rethink your choices? By staying in the word of God. Listen to me. Get in the word of God and get the word of God in you. So that you can call a spade for what it is. So you can call a lie for what it is. So you can discern the difference between lies, half-truths, and truths. Because a half-truth is what? A lie. And the half-truth is subtle. The half-truth seems right. The half-truth even feels right. The half-truth is popular. The half-truth is what everybody else is doing. The half-truth is the new norm. The half-truth is what everybody else says is normal. But I'm here to tell you, normal isn't working. And the only way we can know what works is by knowing and understanding how to do the will of God. And how do we do God's will? God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we know God's will? By getting to know the God of God's word. Listen, God's revelation his truth, listen, can be the guide, can be the light that guides us where we need to go, even in a darkened world. 
We need the truth of God's word to help us make wise choices. That's why I love Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, Jesus said it best. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you. In other words, God will take care of us as long as we put him first. And we seek him. And we pursue his righteousness. God will take care of all these other things in our lives. So give God the first part of your day. Give God the first day of your week, which you're already doing right here on Sunday. And give God the first 10% of your income. And then watch what God does. He takes the priority of first. And you know what he does? He blesses your life. Why? Because we are coming up under his authority. We're living a life of obedience. And we're pursuing him first in all things. And God takes care of the rest. That's just his plan. So we rethink our, per our perspective. We rethink our choices. And then lastly, we rethink our impact. Michelle and I, years ago, when we were um, at that you know, stage where our kids were young and we had them in three different schools, and man, we were like full-time Uber, Uber drivers. You know what I'm saying? We got some parents in here like that. You know what I'm talking about. We had one in elementary, one in middle school, one in high school. Three different locations, three different times. I mean, it seemed like half our day was just spent, you know, going from point A to point B, picking up kids, dropping them off, going from here to there. And so we had carpools, you know. Y'all still do carpools? Back in the day, we had carpools. Y'all don't have carpools? How many people part of carpool? We need to start some carpools, save on some gas. So we bought a Suburban. You don't save on gas by getting a Suburban. But a buddy of mine, he owned, uh, well, he did, I shouldn't say he owned, well, I guess he did. He owned like a used car dealership. But he went, he'd go to these auctions, and he would buy these used vehicles, and he would put them on his little used car lot. And I told my friend, I said, hey, we're in the market of looking for a pre-owned used um, Suburban. And he said, I said, man, if you, if you ever come across one, let us know. A few weeks later, we get a phone call. And my friend goes, hey, I'm here at the auction. And uh, man, one just came through the line. He said, you got five minutes to make a decision. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's uh, five minutes? He said, yeah. He said, man, these things are going like hotcakes. I see. He said, low mileage, perfect condition. Man, it's, man it, 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 this, this is your car right here. Don't let this one slip through your hands. I said, well, 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 well let me, I need to get Michelle. We, we, I need to, well, hold on, hold on. He said, I need to know quick. Hurry up. I need to make a quick decision. I said, well, what color is it? He said, it's red. I said, red? On a Suburban? I mean, maybe a Ferrari or something. Not on a Suburban. He said, man, it's beautiful. Trust me. He said, you'll love it. She'll love it. I said, all right, let's go for it. So we bought it. Didn't even see it. All I knew was this red Suburban. He delivered it to our house, pulls it up in the driveway. <laughs> you could see this thing a mile away. I mean, it was like a fire engine. It was a lot of red. I'm talking about bright red. Pull up in the driveway, and the only thing that I saw, I didn't see the Suburban, honestly didn't even pay attention to the red. What I saw were these three obnoxious lights on top of the Suburban. And whoever owned that vehicle used to pull, pull these horse trailers. So they had those trucker lights on top of this red obnoxious Suburban. 
And so Michelle, who is now looking at this red Suburban that's in her driveway with these trucker lights, she said, I'm not driving that. And then the kids got into the picture, and they're all voicing their opinions. Dad, why'd you buy that car? Dad, that car is ugly. Dad, red, why'd you pick red? On and on and on and on. Man, that car became known as Big Bertha. In the pickup line at school, it was the big red machine. Man, my kids, they were embarrassed when they got in that car. They'd get in the floorboard, you know, then everybody would see them. But we fell in love with that car. And we made a lot of memories in that car. Took a lot of road trips in that car. Headlights and all. It was awesome. Long story short, and I'll close with this. We finally got rid of that car. Man, it was, had its, had its day. And we retired it. And so we got another one. This time we got a black one. Michelle pulled up car line at school. Nobody even saw her. Kids would be looking. Didn't even know what they were looking for because there was like 10 other black Suburbans in line. They were like, where's my mom at? You know, and Michelle, she'd have to honk the horn just to draw attention. You know what we learned as a family? We learned that the black Suburbans were popular. But they didn't stand out like the red one did. The kids missed the red one. The red one made an impact. The red one, you saw it coming. The red one was peculiar. The red one was different. The red one just stood out. And you know what? It made an impact on everybody who had an association with that red Suburban. You know what I believe God is saying to us as a church and what God is saying to you as followers of Jesus Christ? Hey, He has called us. He has chosen us. Listen, we are a holy people. We are a priesthood of believers. Listen, we are a peculiar people. We have been called to a higher and a greater purpose to make an impact with our lives. And the only way we can make an impact with our life is when we stand up for truth, stand up for righteousness, stand up for what is right. Because when we stand up for what is right and true and honorable, you're automatically going to stand out to those living in a world of darkness. And so let's be those people. Let's be that church that God uses because That are making an impact for the glory of God. How do we do it? We re- rethink our perspective, we rethink our choices, and we rethink our impact. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, the Bible says, as you read the end of that story, impacted the entire nation. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, embraced these young men. Because he saw the favor of God on their lives. And the Bible says, listen to this, that he promoted them to even higher levels of influence within the most wicked nation in 
the world. Isn't that incredible? That's just what God has the ability to do. God is with us and he's for us. And he's called us to challenge the norm. To live different than the norm for his glory. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that you called us and you've chosen us. And God, I just pray that today that you would just continue to work in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, give us the encouragement that we need, Lord, at times when we feel discouraged, when we feel like we're a lone ranger, when we feel like we're a fish that's swimming upstream, we feel like an outcast. God, I pray that you'll use us to make a, a great impact for you. And God, we just ask that as we live in this world today, that seems to be so lost, so confused, that you'd help us to introduce people to your good, your pleasing, and your perfect will through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're watching online and maybe you're missing that relationship with Jesus, can I just invite you to pray this prayer? Right where you are, you can pray something like this. Just say, dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I've turned from my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross and you arose again. And by faith, I'm surrendering my life to you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Now, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer just then, would you let me know by just holding up your hand high toward heaven today, saying, yes, I prayed that prayer and I shame to admit it. Count me in today. Anybody else? That's awesome. Anybody else to say, yes, count me in. I just prayed that prayer and I shame to admit it. That's, that's awesome. Back there. Over here, thank you. Online, God bless you. Father, we thank you for these that lifted their hands. I pray that today, Lord, as we come close to you, you would come close to us. May we sense your presence. Lord, may we experience your power in fresh and new ways unlike ever before. We pray this today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Come on, somebody, let's give God a little shout of praise. Can we do that? Let me just say this. If you prayed that prayer just then, you just invited Christ into your heart and your life today, hey, we would love to know that. One of the things that you can do is just putting there on the, the Connect card, a little check mark and the little space there about uh, indicating that you put your faith and you accepted Christ uh, into your life today. We'd love to know that. And then also, if you would like to be baptized, that is our first and best next step in our spiritual journey is to be water baptized. We're going to be doing that the second Sunday of June. We'd love to include you at our beach baptism. It's going to be an exciting, exciting day. So you can just also indicate that. You can go to our Connect tent on our way out and let them know that you would like to be baptized and you can sign up for our next beach baptism. And then also, as you've already learned, uh, we've got small groups this summer that's going to be happening. Small group training is happening this Sunday night, and then uh, it's also going to be happen happening uh, the following Wednesday. So two opportunities to learn ways uh, that you can 
be a part of a group. You can start a group. We'd love to be a part of that time with you. It's an online uh, uh, call where we'll kind of walk through through a Zoom call on all the need-to-knows for that. And then next Sunday, very, very dear friend and uh, awesome, awesome leader uh, here in our church by the name of Dr. Linda Travelude. I've asked her to share a very special and timely message that she's going to be sharing next Sunday. Super, super excited about her being a part of this service next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. Invite somebody to be with you. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time. And uh, before we take today's offering, I just want to say once again, from my heart, how grateful and how appreciative I am for every person who's given above and beyond, who've made the sacrifices that you've made, who've restructured some things that have maybe freed up some funds for you to participate and go above and beyond your regular giving to help with our Make Your Mark initiative. And I know that takes a lot, and it's, it's a lot of sacrifice. And I just want you to know from my heart to yours how thankful and how grateful and appreciative I am. And I just pray for God's continued favor, His blessings, His continued provision upon each of our lives as we walk in this journey of faith and believe for God to do what only He can do. Amen? So let's pray over our offering today. Father, we thank You for the privilege that we have to be able to give. And I pray that today, the Lord, as we give our offering today through our tithe, for others who may give maybe over and above over the next 90 days, Lord, I pray that you'll just continue to speak to our hearts. and God, that we will continue to trust you and step out in faith to accomplish your good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.